you have a Bible with you, want to open to John 3, you can do that, or you can read along on the screen. We're continuing in this series about what it means to be the sent people of God from John. We've seen that Jesus says in John 20, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. So with all the, the books and the different methods of what it means to be the church and all the curriculums, is that if we really want to be disciples of Jesus, then we just need to say, how did he do it? Right? I mean, we've been given the model, we've been given the path, we've been given the example and healed. And so we want to follow that. And we really are just going to do that forever as a church. It's kind of like every series will be this series in some way. But we're really looking into the Gospel of John, these first few chapters, actually the first four chapters, to, to kind of see what his pattern was. And so we've seen how Jesus incarnated himself. That is, he came and lived among the people whom he wanted to come to know who God really was. So we talked about how that's unique in some ways. It could never be repeated. We're not gods becoming men. But Jesus tells us to follow his example. He says for us to humble ourselves, to be servants of others, and to do that not as those who are just here to do for people, but actually want to live with people. That means calling people, we said, to, to be participants with us in this journey of following Jesus, not merely recipients from us. We talked about the great access that we have to God in prayer that we should never be seeking to fulfill the mission of God in our own power. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus lived a spirit-led, spirit-filled life. And he says, all that I do, I do because it's what I see the Father doing. And so we talked about the access we have to the Father, and the gift we have to the Spirit that should lead us out into a ministry that has higher expectations than just what we could pull off by our own plans, methods, and personalities. And then this week, we're going to begin uh, a couple weeks, and next week I won't be here, but Cody will be uh, speaking to us from Colossians. But we're going to have a couple weeks on what it means to actually proclaim the gospel. Because we have to be careful in a church that is so, so committed to not just like dropping in somewhere, sharing a message, and then leaving, because we don't think that's the way of Jesus. We've got to make sure we don't err on the other side, and that we really love people well, do life with people really well, open our homes, open our lives really well, but we never actually speak the gospel to people. We never actually share the good news of the message of who Jesus is. And so we've said if we look in the Bible at how the church goes about mission, there's a presence, a faithful presence. There's a dependence, a prayerful connection to God. There's an expectation of power for God to change people's lives on the inside and the out. But there was also a proclamation a faithful proclamation. And we're going to talk this week about it, what it looks like to proclaim the gospel to, to people we might call religious. And all I mean by that is people who would profess to know Christ. And then we'll look in John chapter 4 at what it means to proclaim the gospel to people who would not profess to know Christ or maybe have little experience in that realm. So John 3, but we're going to begin in chapter 2 actually and read a little bit of the context. Let's hear God's word. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, that is Jesus, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a ruler of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, 
We know you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let us pray. Father, we ask you now that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word. I confess that my words have no power. Your word, by your spirit, is able to raise the dead, is able to activate the living. And so we ask you today, Holy Spirit, that you would be here manifestly to challenge us, to change us, to comfort us, to con- console us, and to point us to Jesus. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we took their word for it when our house was hit by a tornado. I've spoke about this uh, before in different ways. Uh, that the contractors that came by our house, eager to offer our services, that they would have our house remodeled, although it had very significant damage in three weeks. We said, yeah, looking at this, in about three weeks you should be back in. All you got to do is just sign on the dotted line here. And so, uh, in hindsight, maybe we should have had a few more conversations with them, gotten a few more references. Because it was seven months later before we were able to finally go home. 
But the appearances were, were very deceiving. I mean, you've got the big truck, you've got the, the card, you've got the language, you know the lingo, you have the business, you have the documents. So it must be good, right? Everything looked good, everything sounded good, but the appearances were very deceiving, whether they were intended to be or not. What I think is true as we think about this reality is that we, we went through a lot of frustration and pain because we didn't take the time to have a deeper conversation about it, what it meant for us to have a relationship with this business, what it meant for us to actually connect our resources to their resources to see this job accomplished. And in the same way, and yet so much more serious, is how we approach this issue of people who claim to be Christians in our culture. It seems that if someone looks the part, knows the lingo, seems nice enough, seems moral enough, and in some cases even seems churched enough, and they say they're a Christian, then our impulse is just to sort of move on on our way. Well, I guess they're already in a relationship with Jesus. Why don't I go invest my time in someone else who's not? And I think this is a grave error for us as a church situated here in the religious south. It's to simply take the word of people who say, I'm a Christian. Because what we've already found and what we will continue to find is that the high majority of the culture that we live in around here is simply going to throw that word out. And it may mean little to nothing. So when we talk about sharing the gospel of religious people today, I'm not talking about just the person who is self-righteous. I'm not talking about the person who just wants to live by a set of rules. We are talking about that, but we're also talking about anyone who would say that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if we are truly going to be a church that follows Jesus on mission, they're going to see that just as he didn't take Nicodemus' word for it, that we have to follow in that path. Because the biggest problem with this sort of, oh, okay, you say you're a Christian. Oh, you say you're part of a church. I guess you're good. The biggest problem with that, among many other problems, is that those were the very people Jesus was the most skeptical had a real relationship with God in his day. So it seems for Jesus that if someone talks a big game and makes themselves look really strong with God, Jesus wasn't saying, okay, I guess you're good. Jesus was saying, let's go deeper. And this message today is not to be one of those that makes people who feel weak and feel needy to doubt your faith. That's not the goal. The goal here is not to say, do you know that you know that you know? No, if you're feeling weak and needy and dependent on Christ this morning, then you're probably in a good place. This is a message that as we go out, not that we heap doubt upon people who are leaning in dependence on Christ, but that we have a deeper conversation with those who are just assuming that because they've prayed a prayer or had some type of position in a church, that therefore they have a life-giving relationship with the real Jesus. And this would be the story of many of us in here today. I grew up in a church, but thank God, Thank God that God pursued me in my religious culture with the truth of the gospel and didn't just say, oh, okay, you're good. And we must follow Jesus, sent as he was sent, to call the religious into a living relationship 
with the world with us. So why must we do this? First reason why we see, and go back to to into chapter two there, is because profession or position doesn't necessarily equal possession. Possession of what? Possession of the kingdom of God within us. Possession of a life-giving relationship with Jesus. Many people claiming to be Christians on every corner, but how many people have a truly life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ? Because that's what it means to be born again into the kingdom of God. And we see this here, this profession in chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Jesus is performing these signs. And there are many people who believe in his name when they see these signs that he's performing. And you know what Jesus doesn't do? Jesus doesn't say, let's count all those people and go share about all the people who came to Jesus. And just assume that because they made a profession that they therefore have a possession and we need to give them an assurance. No, actually we see this. Jesus didn't entrust himself to them because he knew what was in men. What is it saying here? Jesus knows how humans work. When there's a spectacle sort of situation, when there's a sign that's, a, that's per performed, when there's a big event that takes place, that there's this sort of crowd or herd mentality that oftentimes has very little meaning beyond the moment. Many people believe that Jesus says maybe, and that doesn't mean Jesus is a meaning. Right? It doesn't mean Jesus is, you know, the party pooper. Jesus is just being real. I know how humanity works. But also, we must look at position. So as we go into chapter 3, we see this encounter beginning with Nicodemus. Nicodemus here is a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. So if anyone had all the credentials of someone who we would think, looking from the outside, that person has a, a great relationship with God. I mean, this guy's a Pharisee. This, this was a part of this uh, ruling religious class. He probably had much of the Old Testament memorized. He was probably one of the most committed people to the holiness code that we find in the Old Testament. You see, he is a Jewish person. That means he's, he's born into this ethnic identity that aligns him with the people of God. Very likely because of his rank and his position, he's an older man. And in that culture, he's a man. So all of these things would say, here's a guy, we probably would say, you're good. You've got it together. But Jesus says, not so fast. Jesus realized that although this person may have all the resume for a relationship with God, that he was missing the very life that only comes through an abiding relationship with Jesus. But just because he was a part of this country that was associated with God did not mean he was a part of the kingdom of God. I want you to imagine with me, if you can, a scenario in which the population of a city or a country, I'm sure something probably like this has happened, but I couldn't find it through Google, where the people were suffering some sort of disease, some sort of uh, just outbreak and there was nothing that really could be done or there was only a, a, a certain amount of cure that could be given out and so the powers that be gave out the cure to some people 
the real one, and they gave out a placebo, which would just be like a, a fake medicine. The people who took the fake medicine, well, they felt good because they thought they had received the real medicine. And so they went on about their everyday lives with a sort of joy and a sort of confidence with no understanding of the death that continued to live in them. And then over time, even the powers that be became self-deceived that all was well regardless of the truth. And so they began to become even enthusiastic about selling the fake medicine, the fake drug that would help you heal people. In a lot of ways, this is, this is kind of what it's become in our area of the world. Is the church can become very, have very little concern about people really have a relationship with the real Jesus and more concerned that they just check off some religious boxes through their possession, through their professions or their positions. And all along, they continue to be apart from the kingdom of God. As a church, we have to bear in some measure the responsibility for this, but what we can't do is become a church that just sits back and complains about it becomes those theological Pharisees, as it were, that says, oh, we've got the right understanding of, of how people come to know a relationship with God. No, our impulse is we have to go. We can't sit back and just simply be people who critique the systems and the powers that be. We have to, people, we have to be the people, the followers of Jesus, who go to the Nicodemuses in this neighborhood and in our everyday missions who would say, yes, on paper, I've got it all lined out. And that we would say, let's go deeper. So how do we do this? Well, it starts with our attitude. For each of these points today, we're going to kind of have this acrostic of ask. The first thing is an attitude. We must have an attitude that is not condescending. So someone tells us, yeah, I'm a Christian. I, I've, I've, I've been a part of this church. Or I grew up in this thing. We, we can't have a condescending attitude that like sits back with our arms crossed like, yeah, prove it. Uh, that is not the posture that we should have. We need to have a posture that's not condescending, but a posture that is curious. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, to be curious about a person's story. That just because someone says, I'm a Christian, or even someone says, I'm born again, we want to be curious about what that means. That is a loving attitude and position. And the next thing, so A, attitude, S, story, is we want to hear their story. Right? So we don't want to think, oh, you say you're a Christian, so therefore now you're not worth my time. No, we want to hear their story. Oh, you're a Christian? That's interesting. That's great. Tell me more. Now already you're turning a corner with this person that most people won't turn. Tell me more. Why did you want to become a Christian? Why did you want to follow Jesus? And, and let them talk will begin to learn a lot. What happened? Why was he compelling to you? You can even think in terms of the, the pattern we use for telling our stories here. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration, creation. What, what were you living for before you knew Jesus? What did brokenness and sin look like in your life before you knew Jesus? Redemption. How were you introduced to Jesus and how did you come to find him to be good news? 
restoration. Tell me about how he's changing your life since you found him. See, this is just, if we just let, stopped right now and left and did that and every encounter we had with one another, if this person is genuinely a Christian, guess what you're doing? Now you're actually aiding in the mission of making disciples. Because this person probably has very, very, very likely not been trained to tell their story with Jesus as the hero. And it may be an action step for us is just to say, have we did that with everybody even in this room right now? Have I even did that with my spouse? Have I did that with my children? Have I did that with people in my fight club? Have I did that with people in my missional community? Have I did that with people who are new to the church, who maybe even just be here for a season? We can't just accept that professions or positions equal possession of the kingdom. And many times it's through those conversations that you don't even have to come on strong. People will just begin to sense, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. You don't have to tell them that. Maybe I don't even know what I'm talking about. And so Kay, a kind request. Could we talk more? Cassie and I have seen this in, in instances where we've been privileged to to lead people to Christ is that it usually came through situations like this. We're just having people over in our missional community, having people over from the neighborhoods that we serve, and, and of course they've all said they were Christians, and we just say, we're gonna, the, the point of this meal is going to be that we hear your story and share our story. And one couple, Harley and Katie, if you're listening to this sometime, Harley and Katie, talking about you, is, they listen sometimes in here, is that they're sharing their story. And as they share, they just start to, to realize, wow, the words I'm saying with my mouth are showing all I've done is sort of had this religious affiliation with the church versus a real and life-giving relationship with Christ. And so we must share the gospel to the religious but we do this not only because we can't accept profession or position equals possession of the kingdom, but because conversion is defined by the new birth, not merely by new behavior. This is very important. Very important. We sort of uh, maybe kind of glaze our eyes or roll our eyes at this point in American history when people talk about being born again. Right? In, in some ways, we, some of you may feel like that's kind of like an overused word. You think about a voting block, born-again Christians, or you think about a certain type of person. But when we think about the new birth and we think about who needs it, we need to realize everyone needs it. That born-again, this is Jesus' language, however it's been co-opted by the culture, this is Jesus' language. And to enter the kingdom of God means this new birth has to take place within you. There's not a certain type of person that's the born-again type. Unless there's a certain person who's the breathing type. Right? Are you the breathing type of person? Are you the type of person who needs to breathe? Well, no, that's breathing. How cliche. Right? No, breathe and live. You know, are you the type of person who needs to be born again? Yes. We all are. Nicodemus is. Nicodemus was born into this country, into this culture, and then grew into all of these credentials. And Jesus is saying to him very clearly in verse 3, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
What he's saying here in these verses, verses 4 through 7, even as Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? How? I mean, we don't know if Nicodemus here being sarcastic or if he's just totally lost. He's saying, like, I crawl back up inside my mom's womb as an adult and jump back out. I mean, it's, it's kind of ridiculous sounding. Jesus is, this is why Jesus is like, dude, verses 9 and 10, you don't know what I'm talking about? This is what the, all the Bible is really about, is that God is bringing a new birth to the world. He's the God who makes all things new. He's the God who takes what is broken and dead and makes it beautiful and living. And to become a Christian is to, to have that life, that kingdom, come alive in you as a person. The Bible's clear we're all born dead to sin and dead in our love to God, regardless of our resume. And the new birth, the other word for this is regeneration. It's a new life that is welled up in us as we come alive to the love of God. So what does it mean? How can I see it? Well, if we come down here to verse 8, it's talking about the wind blows and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So we're thinking about the new birth. Everyone needs it. It's this beautiful, beautiful work of the kingdom of God, in some ways future, breaking into the present, and humanity. But what does it mean? It means that we can see it, even though we can't see it. It's like the wind, Jesus said. Can you see the wind? Well, not really, but can you see the trees? We may not can see the wind, but we can see the effects of the wind. It changes things. It's not just putting makeup on a corpse. It's putting new life into our lives. There's going to be five, five quick things here that I think are going to be helpful for us as we think about what it means to share the gospel in view of the new birth first thing is, is what does it mean is that we have a new identity when you're born again you're you're not born into a, just this isolated relationship with god you've been brought into the kingdom of god it's a birth you have a new father which means you have a new family which means that you now have a new foundation for the center of who you are Whatever it was that you found your identity in before, whatever it was before that was your center, whatever before was your dominating origin story or family history, now you have been born again. This is amazing. You have a new identity. And this is what baptism really is to show. And this is why we do it in the church, is that the old you has been crucified with Christ and the new you now has been resurrected from the dead. And we, it's another thing like, baptism is crazy awesome. I mean, we're both showing this death and resurrection. It's to be a picture of what's happening in us. This is who I am. I'm now a part of the family of God. But it's also a new affinity. And I've had to make these rhymes, so there's probably better words. The new identity, new affinity. Affinity is the thing you like. You associate yourself with. Those who are born again, their likes are changing. Their wants are changing. Their affections are changing. 
It's as if, it's as if wow, before I, I thought that was boring, and now I want to do it. Before I didn't want to read my Bible, somebody had to make me, and now it may still be hard to be self-disciplined, but I at least want to want to do it now. I want to be with God's people. New affinity. But even more, you have a new sensibility. That is, you, your likes just don't change. You start to feel things differently. Like before when I would read the Bible, it would just be like words on a page. But now when I read it, I feel as if this is speaking to me. not just that I know the truth in my head now my senses even I'm starting to feel the truth in my heart and it's a new ability so I may be imperfect but now I at least feel empowered to follow Jesus to fight to obey his laws when the Old Testament talks about the new birth in Ezekiel 36 it says God's Spirit comes to us and enables us then to walk in the ways of the Lord. Which leads then to new activity, which is just a natural overflow of all these others. That now there's fruit in our life. That we begin to see, again, not perfect, but some sort of increase in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. This is what church conversion looks like. Conversion is not you having a transaction with some sort of religious event that you sign up to not go to hell and then your life stays the same. To enter the kingdom of God is to be born again. I remember my friend Benji I grew up with. We grew up little Nicodemuses. We're friends, friends in the cradle, friends from day one and in our little red brick church, Sunday school, regular church service, discipleship training, Sunday night, visitation, Wednesday night, youth group. We're at all of them, right? We got our little car, little, little envelopes where we go into Sunday school class. Did you read your Bible X amount of times this week? Did you share the gospel? Did you whatever? Right, we're, we're about as religious as you could get. And I'm thankful for a lot of that, too. But I remember he hated it. I mean, he hated it, but he just had to do it. He just had to do it. His dad was one of the Sunday school teachers. He had to be there every time, but man, he hated it. And then all of a sudden, when he was 23, 24 years old, he was born again. Now he had raised his hand, prayed a prayer, and did all the stuff he was supposed to do when he was younger. But his life changed. And this person who would mock you for enjoying anything to do with the church now became a person who on his Friday nights wanted a key to the church building so that he could go there and just read God's word and pray. Some of you You've had this happen in your life. For it went from religious duty to a relationship of delight with God. You didn't care if anybody else was doing it. 
You didn't care if anybody else even wanted you to do it. You just wanted to, you wanted to spend time with Jesus. If that's not where you're at today, that may not mean you're not born again. It may just mean you need to be reminded that you've been born again. And that God is calling you back to that first love of new life. But for many people, it's the case that they just haven't. They've had an encounter with Jesus reduced to the raising of a hand or the walking of an aisle or even less. They've never encountered the one who can give them more than a ticket to heaven. The one who can give them life. So how do we respond? What is our attitude? We can't redefine conversion away from the reality of the new birth. We can't. We've got to resist it. Because all the powers that be around us are saying, you can't do that. You, gotta, you just got to keep it surface, shallow, simple if you want to see results. But we've got to remember Jesus who looked at the religious of his day and said, you're whitewashed tombs. We live in a city of the walking dead, but we have the cure. The good news of Jesus. So let's not be against the elder brothers. Let's not be against the religious. If we're going to be like Jesus, we've got to be sent to them with the gospel. And again, as story, many people as they share their story, they leave the new birth out of it. They talk about what they did instead of talking about now how they have been changed. So we need to ask. That's great you're a Christian. You're probably familiar with the language of being born again. Could you tell me what it's been like for you to know that you have a new identity in the kingdom of God? How did it change your lives? How did it change how you felt about things? How's it been going for you to live out the fruits of the Spirit? Have your desires changed? You know, if you look in the New Testament in the book of Acts, the question that they use to determine if someone was a Christian or not most often is, have you received the Spirit? It wasn't in the sense that you've been saved and now you need the Spirit, as some might say in these circles. No, it's just saying... Have you received the Spirit? Because that's what it means to be a Christian. To be born of the Spirit. You want to get some people to scratch their heads in the conversation on Christian? Really? Well, tell me what it's like. Tell me what it's been like for you to receive the Holy Spirit in your life. That's a big deal. But we do it pay again. Kindness. Saying things like, I'm not trying to come on too strong, but could we get together and maybe read through the Gospel of John? Many times as I've shared the Gospel with people, that's what it's looked like. So if we're not going to be a people who just say, hey, who wants to raise their hands and go to heaven? We can't just critique that. We have to follow Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He leaned into deep, meaningful conversations with and one way that you can do that is simply to say when you build that relational trust and you're learning someone's story is, hey, would you like to meet together and read through the Gospel of John with me? Or would you just like to get together and read through John 3 with me? And we do that. Well, the last thing here is we share the Gospel with the religious 
inviting them into a relationship with the real Jesus. We do that because we can't just accept a profession or a position as equaling possession because we can't define Christianity merely by new behavior but by the new birth. And the last thing is, is because Christianity is not mainly about a set of rules to be followed, but it's about a joy to be found in Christ. So very briefly here, verses 14 through 21. What we see is that religious people have lifted themselves up. This is the definition of religion. I lift myself up to God through what I do. But Christianity, the gospel says, is that Jesus must be lifted up. He must be lifted up for us to have new life. We must present Jesus as more than just a good example of how it looks to love your neighbor. But we must present him as the one who was lifted up to die in the place of sinners. Verses 16 through 18, religious people are led by guilt, shame, and fear. This is what motivates them. This is why I follow Jesus. This is why I make myself be a part of a church or something that I really don't like, and it's really annoying, and I'm really trying to figure out what's the least amount that I can do possible. That's guilt, shame, and fear driving that. But the gospel says that it's God's love and grace that must lead us to Christ. This is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That he didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. He sent him into the world to save the world. People are already condemned. But God is a God who is not seeking to heap more condemnation upon people. He is a God who is seeking to free people and transform them through his love and grace. This is the gospel religious people need to hear. Verses 19 through 21. Religious people guard their image. And they keep the real them in the dark. But the gospel says those who follow Jesus must, and because of his work and his grace, can step into the light. They do. And they do. There's a lot of people who are hiding behind a wall of religiosity in our city, and probably in many churches even this morning, who are filled with such guilt and shame and fear, who are battling with sins and sufferings and brokenness in their lives that they know they can't tell anybody about. Some will commit suicide because they would rather die than anyone else know about what they've done or what's been done to them. People in bondage to sins. People whose stories are marked by intense suffering. And we don't need to just say when they say, I'm a Christian, like, well, that's great. I'm going to move on to somebody else. We don't need to say, well, they're a part of another church, so I don't guess they might want to end up attending ours, so let's move on to somebody else. As your pastor, I want you to know one of the reasons we've planted this church is so that we can be freed from counting people to justify our existence. If you need to love somebody with the gospel of Jesus and speak and share that into their life, and they don't ever end up sitting in this room, just know 
from me anyway. You are freed and empowered to do that. We're talking about life and death here. Physically, metaphorically, and eternally. We must call people to God's grace. How do we call people to this deep earth? We share with them the grace of God. We hear in their story that they put themselves or others at the centers and we tell them the story of the sovereign grace of God that pursues them. We call them to Jesus. He didn't come to condemn them or tell them just to do better and try harder. But who gave himself, who died in their place, who lived the perfect life they couldn't live, and has risen and now gives them the kingdom. And we call them to walk in the light. Time to step into the light. It's time to be honest and say, it's just been religion. It's not been Jesus. We call them like Nicodemus, I believe, did at the end of John. If Jesus dies and his body is to be buried, who do we see standing there? We don't know if Nicodemus ever got this or was truly converted, but we do know Jesus, Nicodemus is there saying, let me help care for his body. He had to lay aside a lot of cultural pride and a lot of class pride to say, I will associate now with this one when at the beginning I only wanted to come and talk to in the garden. But that's when we know the kingdom has come in us. We're going to prepare now to come to the Lord's table in response to God's word. But I feel like I would uh, not be being faithful to not just call all, all of us into a time of reflection. Say, what about me? Have I just made a religious commitment? Or have I entered into a life-changing, life-giving relationship with Jesus? Because we can't share with others what we've not yet received. So reflect on that. Maybe you need to do more than just come to the table this morning, but you need to come to Jesus. Maybe you're here and you, you think, yes, I, I, know, I know God's changed me. He's given me this desire to follow him. I feel that new birth within me, but maybe, maybe you've been muting that to other things. And maybe, honestly, you, you can't say that, that that love for Jesus is being cultivated in your life like it once was or enjoyed and you need to just you just need to come back come back home to the father who loves you and gave you life maybe there's an area in your life where you need healing or help maybe you need to step into the light this morning as we gather around these tables and you need to say guys I just need to confess this whether it's a sin or a suffering, and I need you to pray for me. I need help. Religious can't people don't do that, but people who know Jesus know you have the grace for that. Maybe there's someone else's spirits leading you to encourage this morning. And so before we come to the table and break the bread, drink the cup, the picture of Jesus' life given for us, we invite all you who are followers of Jesus to take, and if you're not, to stand around with us and pray. Let us take a minute to just ask God's Spirit to show us how we need to approach the Lord's table.
father now speak to us from your spirit. 